Hello everybody and welcome to this Marketing Masterclass. Today we are talking about conscious marketing with the wonderful Matthew Bellringer. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time or watching on replay, hello to you. My name is Simon Batchelor. I'm the co-founder of Better, Bolder, Braver. And I'm also joined today, um, potentially on the left, potentially on the right, depending on which side Crowdcast depends to show you, is Francis. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Francis Khalasji, and I am the other co-founder of Better, Bolder, Braver. Very happy to be joined on this lovely sunny day by Matthew, who we will now be introduced to by Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hello. Yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really, really uh, pleased to be here and uh, with you two lovely people and to, uh, yeah, to explore this a little bit. So yeah, my background is really, I help people explore uncertainty and explore new things and bring those things into the world. And I specialize in working with neurodivergent people or uh, very often so but fundamentally it's people who experience the world differently um, to most other people and one of the key things about that is that they can be sensitive to things that others are not and that can cause some specific difficulties but well used can be a huge strength so um, that awareness that ability to work with your own experience of the world is a huge thing for me and that's one of the things I'd really like to chat about a bit more today. Mm. Thank you, Matthew. <clears throat> I think at this juncture, I'll mention what just happened because <laughs> it's really funny. And uh, basically, it's exactly what you were just saying. Uh, I'm bringing the funniness of what just happened to me to this conversation so that people can see how the way I see myself is... Um, <laughs> uh, I do take myself seriously. Uh, but things like what just happened happened and then I sort of think oh, you can't take yourself too seriously basically the, the, the curtain was really bothering me about one second before you we were meant to go live so I jumped across the room to adjust the curtain so I had to pull out my head my headphones and in the process the two little rubber things on the end of the headphones fell out somewhere on the carpet um, so when I got back, I was like, oh, no, I haven't got it. And then I was scrambling around and had to go there. Like, this kind of stuff happens. Poor Simon. I'm, like, doing things at the 11th hour, technical stuff. And it it makes me laugh. So so I bring to things like this a degree of humour and levity and, like, I can't really take myself too seriously. And I think I'd like to take that into my life. But um, it's taken a very long time to not just think I'm a disaster and <laughs> I think this conversation is about living with who you are and and being identified uh, being able to identify what it is that you bring and and using it in a way that's very nourishing for you and nourishing for others and I, I, you know, I think that's what this conversation could potentially be all about so at the end of it I hope people feel a lot more uh, kindly towards themselves and clear about how they can be themselves in putting themselves out there in, in their marketing. So yes, that's kind of the essence of the conversation really. Matthew and I uh, and Simon are firm friends in something called a happy startup school community where people can very much be who they are and uh, show up 
in, with their whole selves. Um, and it's something that Simon and I are really hoping people, uh, not least through our support in a better, bolder, braver community, um, feel that they can do as well as coaches in the world. Um, conscious marketing is the name of the discussion because I think so much of it depends on self-awareness. Um, and I think we're blessed to have Matthew here today because Matthew's done so much work uh, around sort of working out who you are and sort of navigating a world that sometimes is very forgiving and sometimes not so much. So, so um, Matthew, where would you like to start? What would be, do you think, a kind of useful place for this conversation to go next? I think first of all, I'd like to, to, to just kind of carry on from what you said around the, the playfulness and the, the fun in this. In some sense, a lot of this, these conversations can get very heavy and can feel very serious. And I think that's one of the reasons that it can be a struggle to do this work. But actually, there is something quite fun and quite joyful. And um, connecting with that, I think, is a huge part of this. And, and that's a very personal thing. What we enjoy is really quite a personal thing. And one of the um, big things for me is with neurodivergent people, often they find different things rewarding. They want different things out of life. And I think when, it, for whatever reason, when you experience that, that, that other people want something different, it can be quite difficult to find that thing if it's not supplied for you. And playing with it, seeing what it is, finding that joy, following that joy, is a, a huge part of really doing this. And I'd like to kind of frame everything practical that we're going to talk about later in terms of if you're not enjoying it, if there isn't fun in it, then the thing to do is to stop and understand why. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, how easy is it for you to stop often and ask yourself if you're feeling joyful? I think for, for me, it's less of a stopping and looking and more of a becoming aware when it's changed. Um, the two are obviously related, but the the using that ability to kind of be sensing into what's happening in the moment and using it for little course corrections is really fundamentally what I'm talking about when I'm talking about doing anything consciously, anything when you're present to something, you know, that, that ability to um, just nudge it a little bit rather than having to stop and kind of completely correct, which does happen sometimes and we learn from. Um, but fundamentally, if we can get to that point where we're always kind of, it's always, it's always available, it's always there. We can just use it as a thread to orientate to and, and, and hold on to. And I think for me, this is like whatever it is that we're doing and whatever the kind of practical intention of what we're doing is, if we can hold on to that quality that is us and is our joy in the thing, we're going to convey something really powerful and helpful that's going to land with the right kind of people. Mm. And so this is really interesting already because Seth Godin talks about people like us do things like this um the speed with which we can give people a sense of who we are 
and to be somewhere where you can be original and yet feel very much part of a group is so important and difficult to achieve some might say um, have you navigated feeling like you belong and at the same time wanting very much to be seen for who you are for me I think there's been quite a lot of not belonging actually you know that was a that was a very that was a very common experience it was such a common experience actually it was quite difficult to figure out what belonging felt like at the start and to move in that direction and so for me a lot of this has been creating a space where i did genuinely feel like i could belong and could genuinely and and really with all that that involved and particularly i think this is one of the really difficult things is when we first express stuff new stuff that we haven't really practiced before it can be very raw it can be very unpolished and it's not always safe or appropriate to do that entirely in public and finding other people with whom who, who get it who can support us in that and for whom it's valuable to share that with us is really a lot of the the key here and the interesting thing for me is that I believe a lot of coaching is fundamentally this process. There is something really around this exploration, this understanding that we are offering when we are working with someone else as well, because it's part of us. And so there's this mutual thing going on. It's very much a, a connected thing, but the extent to which we can be open to it and share it is an ongoing practice for many of us. And I think one of the key things for me is being, being aware of where you are right now. There's not a finished either. I'm, well, if there is, I've yet to meet anyone who <coughs> has. Um, so this is, this, is, um, this, this is an ongoing thing. And I think one of, the, one of the big fears I often encounter with people is this idea of kind of having these neat answers and having it kind of appearing finished, like I know, like I understand. It's actually being transparent about the bits we got, the bits we're confident with, and the bits that we're still exploring ourselves is a lot of the work. And the first person to kind of start to be okay with engaging with that is within yourself, first of all. So, because if you're not okay with it in yourself, you're not going to be able to uh, really share it wholeheartedly with anyone else either. Yeah, I mean, we sit behind something called the Ethical Move, which is a group of marketing musketeers <laughs> who are there to practice uh, good ethical marketing. But so much of what we're all about is when we talk about kind of showing the thing and transparency and uh, working out loud, much of it is from that ethical standpoint but also viewpoint viewpoint uh but you know so much of it is also so that you aren't going around in circles trying to pretend to be something that you're not because if you can be who you are and it's okay and you get accepted by a group of people then you know you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to uh be finished and you don't have to be polished so the permission is the invitation is do the right thing because that's the right thing to do but also it's for you this is for you this this putting yourself out there thing is a gift and we talk about 
holding a mirror up to yourself in your marketing in the same way as I think you're talking about in coaching, which I think is absolutely right. Um, you know, to, to go into a relationship, in, into an interaction and, and not to remember that you are very much a kind of moving piece within it means you're you're not ever really going to get the most out of it yourself let alone the other person may not get the best version of you and i think the same can be said for marketing um yeah i i think for me it's an interesting differentiation to draw because i i don't really draw any differentiation between uh the stuff i share freely and the stuff i do kind of in a more closed environment so it, it all does the same thing you know, the experience of anything I'm participating in is very much just the experience of working with me in a specific context. So the idea that our marketing is separate from anything else, I don't find very helpful. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think one of the things around what you're offering and, and in terms of making it for you, I think is, is a really important point. And one of the ways that it can be for you is that it's fun to create and fun to do and works for you intrinsically. And that's more likely to resonate with the right people because it's all very well. You're not going to resonate with everyone and you probably want to attract people who are quite a lot like you, honestly. Um, we tend to work with people who are like us and like working with people who are like us and have similar challenges. So being able to attract those people comes from creating stuff that works for you. That's the quickest way to figure it out. You can refine, but you'll get a lot of the way there just by, by being able to test against yourself and your own experience first. Mm. Yeah, so that, that's a, I, I think the, the other really big part of making it for you is actually making it for you in terms of outcome. So one of the ways I think about the work is I, I, I have a group of people that I really enjoy working with and they have certain intrinsic traits, but they also have certain capabilities and skills and have had experiences and know certain things. I don't want to be teaching people the kind of basic boring stuff that I'm kind of bored of talking about and doesn't have much energy for me anymore. That's not something I, I personally enjoy. So it's much more valuable to me because I want people who I can explore with and where we can both kind of go up to an edge and really explore. That's what I really like. And if I'm having to take people through the kind of the, 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 the nursery slopes of, of whatever it is, that's not very interesting to me. It's also lower value to them. But from my perspective, personally, it's just work I'm not that interested in. And so what I can do with anything that I share in terms of marketing is make people better clients for me is bring them to the point at which they're the kind of person I'm going to really enjoy working with. So in terms of thinking about like what your marketing is for, if you think about it as a kind of education process to bring people to the point at which you really want to have, you'll have the most fun and the most value and the most satisfaction from working with them, then it's a very different way of thinking about it to thinking about something that's really about convincing people to do a specific thing, because from my perspective, I, it's not very helpful to, to, to try and convince people to do anything really, particularly in this space. I can feel Simon about to launch into a <laughs> journey of consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Awareness thing. <laughs> so I'm just, uh, 
inviting you to do that, Simon, because so much of what Matthew's saying is, is so joyous, right? And uh, also there's some chat in the chat um, about the journey of understanding of a customer uh, and does that need to influence what we talk about in public and helping people understand which message to listen to at what point in time. Um, and there's another uh, question. If you don't cater for the nursery slope people, then do you then need to get people who are just coming off the nursery slope? So I'll let Simon do a bit of an overview of what we mean by levels of consciousness and then perhaps we can talk about the different transitionary bits that turn each of us on uh, because we all have different points of interest in terms of where to meet people um, in terms of their journey. So, Simon. Yeah, I think the <coughs> um, it's interesting there, Matthew, you're saying about the kind of nursery slopes level and i think there's definitely an element of of that in in coaching in particular so when we work with a lot of coaching clients they kind of may be stuck in a bit of a loop where they're only really attracting those people who are just curious they're just at that point where they're like oh i'd like to know more about x feeling i'd like to know more about y thoughts and when you don't have any content or you've not written anything or made a video or a podcast about that topic you've got nowhere to send them other than to your very precious gate kept time and so you just spend that time as you say you know on the nursery slopes with them teaching them to ski when actually what you really want to be doing is going way up to the top of the mountain and having a lot more fun so I really I really like that sort of analogy and the way you've said that and obviously from our point of view we've got the the um, journey of consciousness, which is the five levels of awareness. And that's unaware, problem aware, solution aware, product aware, most aware. And what we focus on a lot is how a lot of marketing is focused just on that unaware stage. Because when you're selling products, that's actually a really good place to start. But I think what you were saying, um, Matthew, is actually really a great analogy there because with coaching, we, we advise people not to start with that first level and in fact to start the most aware and then work backwards because you're essentially saying, I really want to work with people like this. If this is you, then come and say hello and then you start to build that journey backwards so that they've got somewhere to go. And I think it's that thing of if you start at the other end, at the sort of unaware stage, then you're just saying, okay, here's everything I know about this. And one day I'm going to have the next bit ready for you. So when you're ready to become a client, I will have that sorted one day, but I haven't got that sorted just yet. So far, I've written loads of blogs and lots of YouTube videos, but you've got no way of becoming a client. So it's that sort of flipping it on its head. Um, so yeah, Francis has posted a link to the guide if you, anybody wants to dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, and then in terms of just thinking about like working with people like us, I think that is a really interesting idea because naturally when you speak from experience or you speak from a point of empathy and saying you know I've been here I've done that I felt like this and here's a story I'd like to tell you about that experience then it's really engaging and I think especially with coaching and especially with that sort of level of sort of um, client interaction the level the amount of trust you build in talking from that perspective is great. So I think that's a really interesting um, 
thing. And, and ultimately, if you're not being yourself in that, then people are going to have a very disappointing experience working with you, I think. Either that or simply going to read you well enough and not, not engage with you in the first place. Yes, very true. But that there's there's a a kind of I sometimes got there's a natural authority that comes with actually having lived something um, that is extremely hard to fake, particularly with sensitive intuitive mm. people who can who who can read it. Many of whom find the presence of that disconnect very uncomfortable. So I think that 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 being able to, to to kind of sit with that is a very powerful thing and in many ways that you know that our own power can be quite a, uh, an uncomfortable experience you know we're, we're, when we're transitioning into that um i think i'd, I'd like to talk about that the, the the nursery slopes and the, the transition and, and the different roles in that um there's a couple of things around the the idea of not catering people on the nursery slopes i think there's there's the first one is to say that Actually, in terms of your kind of mass content, the stuff that's easily consumed, that should have a lower barrier of entry in terms of its level to uh, to the other stuff. I would suggest that you are kind of making, you know, you, the, the, that on some sense is is pretty much the that the, should help people who are not all the way there yet. That's the level you want to get. What I'm saying is really, if you think about like, you know, your short form content very simple longer form content bit more involved in something interactive in groups more involved again one-to-one -one work highly involved high level and just save that high level stuff for the stuff that's really like you know uh, and that that has um potential monetary consequences you know or, or at least in terms of value however you choose to realize that value whether it's in money or on other things is the highest value work that you can do will then be the one-to-one -one work and so that's for me that that's a really important thing because we we're using scarce resources our time the uh, the people that we work with their time um, mm. and other things that we want to we we want to we want to use as best we can. This is super interesting because Simon and I usually talk about um, levels of levels of awareness. Uh, Simon's invitation is that you do make sure you have content that goes out to per people at each level of awareness so that <clears throat> wherever you are on your journey it's clear that um, you as a guide are the right person for that individual um, there's part of us also that uh, is keen that people identify which point of transition is the most exciting so Simon really enjoys um, well I, I really enjoy working with people who are going who are on a in the transitionary period between unaware and aware um and i take great care not to employ any kind of um uh what's the right word that there's a very sensitive point of transition between unaware and aware uh on a good day it's a light bulb moment on a bad day it's an existential crisis moment um and so it's it's it interests me greatly to support people at that point. Um, Simon is more interested, aren't you, Simon, in the sort of problem unaware, sorry, problem aware to solution unaware stage where people really understand there is a problem there but just don't quite know what it is that's going to help them move forward. Um, 
And I think it's always interesting for coaches to think, well, all right, so am I either supposed to be talking to people? Uh, does my content either need, do I need to make sure that I cycle between the different levels of awareness so that there's content going out to all of them? Or is it that I need to work out which transitionary period turns me on and then speak to that more often so that I'm getting more people at that point of transition? And then there's this third thing, which I think you're bringing into it, Matthew, which is fascinating, which is to be aware of how one might connect the different transitionary periods to the energy, time and money that might then um, be translated from the different from talking to the different points and to be quite clear that for example you're one-to-one coaching um, or maybe it's a, an accelerator program that's quite pricey speaks to that very very intense level of transition or that the level of transition where your work is going to be most impactful and I'm not sure if we've thought that much about that or if we have it's been at quite an unconscious level so I'm really enjoying that you're sort of shining a light on that at this point and I think for coaches it's very relevant when they're thinking about one-to-one programs um, and their marketing content which is another way for them to show up as a coach because you can coach in the questions that you ask in your marketing and also in conversations around what sales conversations when you're trying to get somebody to see that the outcome of working with you is 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 less expensive than the outcome of not working with you so that was a bit of a waffle but i hope some of it has landed in a way that we can move forward <laughs> i think there's one, one thing i'd like to slightly um um just challenge a little bit actually that, that in that 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 last bit which is really for me the point of marketing conversation uh, or sales conversations and for me the point of sales conversations is fundamentally a coaching practice to see whether someone is in the right position to work with you right now it's not to for you to convince them of any specific thing. It's to coach them to their own decision as best you can. And I think that that fundamental framing for all content, everything in, her, in terms of how we interact with people um, is, is a really helpful one for me. Uh, certainly when I realized that it made a whole lot so much easier is that all I'm doing is helping people to, uh, to their own decision instead of trying to make a decision for them. And as a coach, you're likely have an awful lot of skills to do that. This is the other thing is it's, this isn't this is this is carrying on doing more of what you do. So it, it, it's it's not as challenging as some of the other modes of uh, selling, which are less appropriate for the work anyway, but but also they're just harder. You probably don't have those skills and you probably do have these skills. So it's 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 actually for me that that approach is is much more more helpful and letting go of a specific outcome for the individual because it's up to the individual to decide because i i can't know that really i can i can i can guide them to the kind of things i can say this people who talk about this kind of thing experience this and have these kind of outcomes but i can't make that decision for them and i don't think i would ever want to be in a position to make that for them i'm so glad that you thought to challenge me because it makes me explain that we're very much singing from the same hymn sheet as you and so if anything I just did a crap job of saying what you just said really nicely um, because we absolutely agree and talk to our coaches in our community about 
the joy that is as a coach how you have this wonderful way in those conversations of being able to help a uh, potential client see the value from their perspective of working with you um, and we also talk about the guide and the hero and we're very clear with people that um, the potential client is the hero of the story and you're the guide um, but also I love that what we want to help people focus on is that they may have a clear idea of what they might want in terms of a client out of that conversation but it's as important I agree with you this is an opportunity for the potential client to work out if it's what they want but I would also add that the coach uh, having the conversation is well within their right at any point to say I don't think this is for me either so everybody's uh you know on a on a on a journey of in, of inquiry in that conversation that's a, that's a really important point i think you know like the idea that we want to work with everyone is is a really really unhelpful one and and really we want to figure out the small number of people that we most want to work with um because and and i think this is this is one of the things that that is often overlooked in, in terms of the enjoyment and satisfaction is we're actually very, very good at having that kind of intuitive sense of whether something's valuable. It's not necessarily immediately measured in financial bottom line, mm -hmm. but our, our markers of value are actually often in the enjoyment and the satisfaction. So if, if we can, if we're feeling that, and if we feel that sense of potential in something, even if it's not exactly obvious how we're going to get to it yet, that's often the more, more fruitful than being like, you know, chasing uh, a large specific payoff. I think, you know, one of one of my um, often you develop, I don't know, in, in this space, there are certain markers for, for people who I'm just like, eh. and one of them is people who like to work with high net worth individuals. For me, the question is why? It's not interesting the, the, the demographic isn't interesting. It's why. Mm. And if you can articulate that, then brilliant. Mm -hmm. Then please do carry on. If you can't, then it's probably time to explore why. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I've just I've come from a world of my one of my previous lives was uh, working with high net worth individuals. But actually, I can tell you that it was because they were uh, on in the main sort of uh, people who were very much struggling with what it was to be alive in the world who'd worked out that art was going to be something that they wanted to have in their lives and happened to be in a financial position where they could actually surround themselves with it and support other people to do it and also quite liked to um, in most instances show other people that they had the money to um, have the art on the walls and there was a lot of very complex things going on there that were very interesting i didn't actually go into that world thinking well i'm really interested in that that, that level of complexity in a human being but i can look back and go i think that's what i enjoyed enough to stay in that world for a while and in the end it made me really sick and i had to leave um but i think there's one th it's, a, it's an amazing privilege for anyone to be in a situation where they might be able to really um home in on their niche enough and be so clear about their own needs and limits as an individual that they can see which kind of person is going to be very interesting and nourishing for them to work with because you know the other thing that Simon and I are very keen to do is um, 
I think not least thanks to a conversation we didn't have too long ago with uh, Vic Sanderson around, um, you know, do you want to work with people like you or actually do you not want to work with people like you at all? Like, where are you and um, what's going to serve you the best? And there are certainly people in our community who are best placed to have people around them that are very much like them and can very much help them uh, because of their own experiences. And there are some in our community who very much should not be working with people like them and are really well placed to work with people who are in a different situation. Um, and they know their own boundaries and it's, it's uh, very interesting how they've come to a decision about what they, who they want to have around them all the time and what's nourishing. Um, God, I've got all of the thoughts. I, there's a narrative question going on for me, stories, like how much do we share about our own lives in relation to our potential clients' lives. Um, I think someone like Anya might at some point in the chat have kind of referred to story at some point, but I can feel like that's coming up next, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's an interesting thing because for me, there's, it feels like there's something about working with our strengths versus working with our weaknesses, I'm working from our weaknesses and working with people that kind of, that highlight and resonate those weaknesses is, is going to be difficult. Instead, working from strength is likely to be helpful for and that there are certain people who are kind of coming at the same problem but from the opposite direction and borrowing whilst they're allies they're allies they're not our people because they're going to be using the opposite set of techniques they have the opposite set of strengths and weaknesses that we do the inversion and i think allowing ourselves so so that 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 kind of that focus on a goal can 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 distort that because you're like well, this should work because they, we want the same thing. But if we've got, we're starting from the opposite directions, then we want to be traveling in opposite directions towards the same goal. And I think understanding that about ourselves is a really, really important part of it. Is so, this yeah, about so opposites attract? It's I've not so much opposite. going on and then it's... I've got, we dream the same dream, we dream the same <laughs> yeah. dream. And it's like, they're kind of at odds and I don't know. I don't know, well, opposites don't attract. Um, there's there's a lot of evidence to suggest that similarities attract. We've got um, a physicist amongst the chat in the chat, so we'll see. What it's like, <laughs> from a psychological perspective, I should say, <laughs> um, um, that that we we tend to prefer people who are very much like us in all sorts of ways, in in fundamental ways. Um, we tend to choose um, pretty much every relationship on similarity. So the idea is that. The, the question is whether we are aware of what that similarity is. There's got to be some resonance going on for there to be some attraction mm. in, in whatever way. And so that the question is, well, what is that? Where is that coming from? And this is another part of it is, is this a healthy form of relating? Because there is a very real relationship when you're working with someone as intimately as you are when you're coaching. And there are healthy and unhealthy forms of relating around that a lot of coaching practice looks like it's going to set up a codependent relationship to me. And I don't think that's a healthy thing for either party. So actually it's like, well, what, what is going to be the right form of relation for me? What am I inviting in? Am I inviting, am I inviting in those really clingy clients who are like, Oh God, this is horrible. And you feel horrible. And it's all, uh, or am I inviting in someone who's kind of gets it and, like understands it or am I inviting in conflict or what, what am I bringing into this and you know why why what is it about the 
the kind of the quality of what I'm putting out into the world that's attracting this thing. And I think that qualitative bit leads me to the next bit, leads me to, after a fairly long divergence, answer your question um, or start to, to explore your question around, um, around like what you put out. And I think this idea of transparency is, it's very easy, particularly when you're different to have learned the habit of over explaining yourself, kind of self justifying all the time. But it is important that you're transparent. It is important when you're doing work that people understand the way in which it works for exactly the reason I just described. It's got to have it's got and that's on a qualitative level. It's like you can boil most coaching practices and most therapeutic practices down to a few very, very simple steps that are common to most of them. How you get there, the resources you use to get there and the barriers that you'll face when you try and do can be very, very different. So instead, it's a question of really conveying that, but on, on, a, on a qualitative level, on an intuitive level, because that's the level, the resonance that, that people are going to be really making that decision on. And for me, that's a key part of being ethical and being transparent, because otherwise you might well be operating on someone in a way or exploring things with someone in a way that is genuinely unsafe for them right now. And yes, you want to go to the edge of what's safe. You want to, you know, you want to explore things that are somewhat unsafe, but you don't want to be in a situation ever where there are unbearable losses, where there are overwhelming things in the space. Because you, uh, you have, when you're in a coaching space, you have both the capacity to put people in a material, financial, professional position that they can't come back from, and an emotional one, a traumatic one, because you're probably working across both of those things. So, and the only person, again, whose word we can really take for that is the person we're working with. It's not us, not ours to decide that for them. It is ours to decide that for us. How's this landing with you, Simon? Yeah, it's really interesting. <clears throat> yeah, I think and that that comes across in two ways, doesn't it? There's the sort of during the work, during the getting to know you phase. And I guess there's part of that in the contracting, you know, the beginning of the process. But I think what's curious is to think about how you can start to put that across and how you can start to communicate that before that conversation so that people can make that informed decision of whether they're ready to start that work, whether they feel they're in a position to make those changes, to start those conversations, to even start thinking about the stuff that you're going to need to think about in order to do the work. And I think that's where what, what I guess is traditionally badged as marketing can actually become some of that content in ideas, thoughts, theories, processes, if you can start to lay out some of those things and say, you know, here is a flavor of some of the things we're going to be thinking about. Here are some of the things that when you work with me, we're going to be dealing with. And for some people that's going to be okay. Yep. Yeah, brilliant. Let's go. And for other people, that's going to be, whew, yeah, I'm not quite sure that's where I'm ready or that's on. That's not me just yet. And I think maybe just setting it out and saying, you know, if you're at that point, 
let's do this. If you're not at that point, then, you know, circle round and come back and let's, let's, let, let's catch up next time. And I think that allowing people not to be ready mm. and allowing their judgment on that is absolutely a huge part of this. It's, it's absolutely fine not to be ready and to not start. I think there's there's this huge practice about kind of really starting before you're ready. Um, and again, for me, it's a question of like, how unready? <laughs> are you are you kind of um are, are you just kind of dealing with details and are you just holding yourself back or are you genuinely concerned about wandering off into the wilderness naked with a pointy stick you know is and that's what you're actually about to do because that's not a sensible approach you know that's not that's not well, I say it's not a sensible approach. It might be the right approach for someone to take, but it's definitely not yours to push someone out into mm. that. And I think, like, uh, allowing allowing for that is 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 a huge part of this. And and remember, you're with people here. This is one of the other things in a in a in a joined space, whether it's a virtual one or a real, you know, in person one. There's there's a, there's a joinedness there. You're there with them. It's got to be a space you can handle as well. And I think when we when we're thinking about what we're modeling, you know, when we when we're helping people because a lot of this is that kind of relational modeling. It's like, okay, how can I, I I will be in a certain way with someone else and they can thereby kind of internalize that experience. I can give them a different experience that they can then make their own and take away. Um for example, I've always been drawn to uncertainty and to the unknown or the the kind of uncertain the, the, the somewhere between fully uncertain unknown and fully known really that that kind of blurry space the, these kind of edges and for a lot of people it's a very scary space it really in fact for most people it's for many people it's the most uncomfortable experience for me it's actually more comfortable than fixity uncertainty I really like this space I enjoy this space and what I can do is I can model my joy in it for others so that they can come and they can joyfully do that too. And that sharing of that is a huge amount of the value that we actually deliver to people. The The specific models are just a hook to be able to remember how to get back to that feeling, that way of being and working with something. Because that is actually a lot of what we're offering people. And I, I, I think when we uh, when we when we make anything that we share about our work um particularly around marketing too mechanistic and too polished we lose that and because it's so vital both in terms of its value that it offers people and in terms of allowing them to make an informed decision it's a big omission if we if we don't allow ourselves to come across that way in that. i'm delighted we started this session as we did then um, and, you know, we talk about emergence a lot and, you know, I'm very mindful that we can talk to what might come up in sessions in our marketing, but we and our potential clients have no idea ultimately what might come up and, you know, people, uh, y you know, even just talking to, uh, 
what the what the experience might be of working with us must be caveated with you know but it might not so we don't know um and there's so there's a degree of faith you know and uh trust and hope and creativity which i think as you say we need to sort of in some way emulate in our marketing or, or point to or or ourselves show up with as a kind of meta message that the energy that somebody might get in a session will be in the spirit of we don't really ultimately know so um but if you want to have a go and you feel comfortable with us we're we're going to provide the space for this to happen and we're doing the work at the same time or like we're maybe a little step ahead of you but you know we're not too far ahead so we're not you know we're going to be in a similar place and we can be friends and kind to each other in this space but the space is for you the the metaphor i really like is is a sherpa you know is 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 that that's is the guide is is the thing but the guide is there on the mountain with the other person and if the weather turns they are no less at risk the thing is and they may they may never have climbed a mountain that that specific mountain before or they may never have climbed that mountain that day in the specific conditions that they find so it's always going to be different but they have climbed a lot of similar mountains before and so i think that you know and 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 having kind of yeah having the trust in ourselves that we can we we can go with someone else but being frank with someone as well and i think this is this is the other really clear thing is to 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 acknowledge our own limitations in this say look you know we 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 can't know for certain anyone anyone that offers you certainty in anything transitional interpersonal is trying to sell you something and lie that's why we i mean the ethical move stuff is because simon and i are we'd like to think quite ethical people on the whole but we're not perfect by the way uh don't really like the whole idea of you live your entire life and it's all clean and tidy all the time that's definitely not what we're touting um but you know so much of of what you're saying is what really upsets us about toxic marketing bullshit somebody standing on a soapbox saying that they've got all the answers and that it's going to be this clean tidy thing which they've seen a million times before bullshit Mm -hmm. you know and it really is not at all it's so incongruent with with trying to uh you know proudly share your coaching services with someone just doesn't work all that stuff doesn't work and it's not appropriate and i get quite angry about it um yeah i think it depends what you mean by work but um, it might sell get bums on seats and then hmm. what you know and that's <clears> yeah i, I think that's the bit. problem and, and and some people have made an awful lot of money doing it yeah and, and they're proud of it and they talk about seven figures and they're proudly saying they've made hundreds of thousands from getting poor people to sign up to their thing where you know and simon is the one that can much more usefully rant about this but the idea of um, magic beans magic beans mm-hmm. i might yeah Simon, do you want to have a rant? <laughs> <laughs> well, essentially, I think the thing we, we often come across is the gurus who are not the people who are carrying the bags on the mountain, but are the people who passionately stand at the bottom and tell you all about how fantastic the mountain is and how many times I've climbed it before and how much money I've made climbing the mountain and all this. You know, when it, and all they're selling ultimately is magic beans, isn't it? It's like, if you swap your cow for my magic beans, I promise you a beans stalk will grow. Um, but you know, own, you know, we only know the story of Jack, don't we? We don't know the story of the other thousand people who bought the magic beans and no beans thought grew. It's this is the thing. It's 
there's so many people out there claiming to sell certainty or kind of this this belief that it, it, and it's preying on people's fears and hopes and it's creating artificial aspirations and all this sort of stuff but um yeah i can i can generally there's there's like two or three flags for me number one is any any price that ends in a seven that's always a classic i've been on a course that's told me how to sell you a course that's always my red flag um, and the other one is any sort of marketing person or any guru who leads with how much money they made either last month or last year that kind of i made one million dollars last year doing whatever immediately bullshit to me but um yeah i'm willing to be proved wrong if anybody does have a authentic one do pop it in the chat because I've, I've i've yet to find one but <laughs> i i think for me the other really there's another really big tell is that they have a kind of secret source they won't tell you yes. what the yeah, yeah. thing is so mm. you read all their stuff and they kind of talk around it and they tell you how brilliant it is they won't tell you what it is because you know, to, to, to hopefully not to stretch the metaphor too far, but basically it's just a map with a picture of the mountain and a big arrow pointing at the top going, there's some gold up here, right at the top. Yeah. That's all yeah. it is. Top. And so if they tell you that, it, it's, but that's not the difficult thing. This is, this is the, the challenge. It's, it, mm. it's like, mm. it, 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 um, it's not what is valuable in this space, really. Mm. And so, and there is, and, and it does feed this deficit in people, you know, it's like, well, why can't I do it then? There must be something mm. deficient. Mm. And it, it becomes, you know, a guru needs a cult. <laughs> and and it, it, it creates this, this feedback loop. And I, I think on one level, it seems like a, a kind of successful strategy for the people that do it. On another level, the personal stories I've had of the amount of suffering that those people actually encounter is very, very high is that there is a part of us that will not that will fight us when we try and do this there is a part of you that is trying to stop you from doing this for very good reason because it knows that you are doing harm to yourself and other people mm. and you can choose to not listen to that you can choose to ride right over that or you can choose to listen to it and change mm. that's that's the bit that i you know i see the prison which is these people having to show up like this Hi everyone, it's been amazing. <laughs> I've had the most incredible ride and I've got to the bit where I know exactly what's happening and I'm gonna share it with you and I am gonna be fabulous for the rest of my life because I've worked it all out. And I look at those people and I think, oh my God, you are stuck. You're in prison, there's no escape. Mm. There's no invitation to you to be able to go, oh shit, my website's a bit crap today because I forgot to do my blog post yesterday. And, oh shit. Um, you know what? I just don't feel like working in this way anymore. Like you're just on this thing forever, and I'm really worried about what where that leaves those people. Even though they're shitbags who should know better than to try and sell people magic means, they're also human beings. They're someone's mm. child. They're gonna die. They're on their own mortality existential journey as well and like where who's holding them who's saying mm. stop you can stop now it's okay like i do get worried mm. it, it, it becomes a very it's what in my work with um with systems i describe it as a very brittle arrangement it's like it can carry on but it doesn't take much to cause it mm. to become completely non-functional and that is a very unpleasant and precarious situation to be in 
you know, that, that very narrow operating window and trying to stay in that is, is exhausting and boring and no fun. And you have to do things you don't want to do. And actually being able to extend the operating window is a lot of what we're really teaching people, you know, or engaging with people around and doing it for ourselves as well. You know, those spaces where we can operate well, be ourselves, be fully ourselves in a wider range of circumstances, developing that both in terms of our own comfort with that and in terms of our own skills and abilities. You know, this is, I think this is, it's often overlooked, one or the other is overlooked. People either talk entirely about beliefs or they entirely talk about technique and ability. It's about joining the two together. For yeah. the, with the specific of time, skills. I'm, mm. I'm looking at the clock. I should just share that Matthew and I don't ever talk for less than an hour and a half on average. <laughs> um, and uh, Anya has said, can we have a weekly call like this with Matthew, please? Love what's emerging from this conversation. I mean, it was always going to go in a way that meant that um, there was a huge amount of frustration, certainly on my part, that there's about a million places that we could go with this. Uh, and we'd love to have you back, Matthew. Uh, yeah, exactly. Two hours is the standard. With <laughs> that I would definitely agree with. Um, so, but if there's any sort of final reflections uh, from you guys, Simon, Matthew, but also anyone else in the chat, if anyone would like to, I don't know, like drop some bomb right at the end <laughs> well i think i was gonna <clears throat> i think i was sort of gonna try and just join two things that have been in my mind which is you know we've touched on sort of putting yourself out there and talking about yourself and putting yourself in maybe a vulnerable position but also an authentic position and then we've also just touched on this sort of but i don't want to be you know, making people do things they don't want to do and I don't want to get people to do things before they're ready sort of space. And there, there's there's some uncomfortableness there. There's, there's maybe an out-of-your-comfort-zone element to that. And I think there's a big difference between putting bu building yourself a gilded cage, as Francis has described, you know, with this sort of putting on a front and pretending everything's okay and then... And, and that feeling uncomfortable and then feeling uncomfortable in maybe talking in a very authentic and genuine way about what you do that can also feel uncomfortable and that's okay and I think ultimately if you're unsure as to where you sit in that it's worth just taking a step back and and, and, and looking at the message you're putting out but I think part of what I wanted to join together is that it's okay to feel uncomfortable if you're going to be talking about something new to a new group of people in a new way that is going to feel uncomfortable so when we've just sort of done a mini rant on magic beans and we've said it shouldn't feel uncomfortable if you're doing something genuine it's like i'm not well i don't think we're saying that to do something right shouldn't feel uncomfortable if you see what i mean there is an element of uncomfortableness that we should embrace because i think that's the excitement and the learning and the evolution of our thoughts and process and the articulation of some of these new ideas will be uncomfortable but in doing so will really help us and also our clients mm, I, if i can add to that i think I, I, it's important to use all experience all feeling to tell to listen to it to let it tell us what it needs to tell us whether it's something we kind of want to hear or something we don't want to hear um, it's all going to tell us something useful and being able to be with it in ourselves improves our ability to be with it for ourselves and others and to be present to others as well. And that's a huge 
part of working with others in this way. Mm. Um, in, in, in regards to comfort for me, it's, it's about where you start versus where you're going. And that if you identify somewhere that requires engaging with discomfort or discomfort comes up whilst you are traveling in that direction, that's okay. As long as it's not overwhelming, as long as it's not the only experience. Mm. This is why uh, we, we tend to learn that ex to, to, to divide experiences into good or bad or like happy or sad or whatever. It's like real experience is rich. It has multiple things going on at once. Being able to be with that, something that is uncomfortable and exciting and valuable and kind of frivolous all at the same time, all of those, the more contradictions we can hold in that work, in that experience, actually can orient ourselves to different things. So I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's building that capacity and representing that in your work, allowing your work to be a little bit weird, paradoxical, contradictory, mm. allowing you don't have to explain everything away straight away and allowing your marketing and everything you share about your work. It says, okay, people will get it if they're there, if they get it, and that's mm. okay. And I think for me, that, that allowing ourselves to convey transparently, clearly, but also allowing other people to get us or not, mm. that is, and for me and for a lot of people I work with, that's a hard thing to do. That genuinely is pushing out an edge. But the more you can do and the more fun you can have with it, 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 it becomes, it can become very playful. So, yeah. 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 No, I, yeah, I completely agree with that. It's fantastic. I think it's really powerful to, to sort of sit with for a bit. I think, yeah, that's definitely an interesting con sort of thing. I definitely will bear in mind next time I'm thinking, oh, should I write that? Should I talk about this? And I think that's yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And Matthew, thank you. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Thank you both. Um, thank you. Thank you, Francis, for originally inviting me. And thank you, Simon, for hosting as well. It's a really fascinating conversation. I think it's a, it's an important space to be talking in. Um, so I, I, I really admire the work that you're doing. And I think it's an important edge to be pushing. You know, every time I, I sign into particularly my uh, Facebook feed, I'm reminded that this is um, the, the the message that you're sharing is an important one, um, because I'd rather see more of the kind of thing you're talking about and less of the kind of thing I see at the moment. Yeah. Well, there you go. Join the mission. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. Uh, Matthew, where can people find out more about uh, you and what you do? How would you like them to connect with you? Sure. So you can find out more and, uh, about me and my work uh, either on LinkedIn uh, and you can by all means connect with me on LinkedIn uh, and have a chat. Um, also, you can find me at MatthewBellringer.com. Uh, the website is in the process of me doing some techie stuff in the background and in transition. So it's a little bit out of date, um, but it does give you the stuff to connect with me um, there. If you are also interested in uh, joining a community or really kind of people exploring different stuff, primarily neurodivergent people, check out, well, first of all, get in touch with me and I'll share details to uh, the Curious Being community, which is in the process of being developed. So yeah, and um, this is the other thing is I'm always developing new stuff and uh, and sharing. I used to be very shy about sharing, like it's not finished yet, it's never, I, I never finish. I get bored when stuff gets finished. So so it, all this stuff is kind of halfway done and gaffer tape and string, because that's, that's the way it is. Um, and that's 
all good. No, yeah, no one's no one's into finishing things. <laughs> um, Excellent. Well, thank you very much. I also say that Delightful Descent is Matthew's own podcast, mm. and there's actually a link in the chat already because I was Matthew's guest last week, and we were talking about being comfortable with uncomfortableness. So yes. you can listen to that if you would like to hear more on the subject, and also therefore find Matthew's own uh, podcast. So thank you all so much. Yeah, sorry, Simon. That's right. I was just going to say I've put um, Matthew's LinkedIn and website in the chat. So uh, do connect and explore more with those. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening and watching. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.